0: Welcome to another episode of the Fearless Launching Show. I'm your host, Anne Samoylov, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Hey, Vanessa, I am so excited to have you on the Fearless Launching Show today. So thank you so much for making the time for me and our listeners.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Anne.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is actually, well, it's not a first, but it is a first because um, past Fearless Launchers who've been on the show, I may have had a relationship with them before they were on the. Sh- they were in fearless launching, mm-hmm. so it's not like they don't count. But you truly, I met you through fearless launching, and yeah. um, you. Entered to win a scholarship the last time I did a launch and you were one of those winners and but you were a winner in other ways too which we'll get into later <laughs> but um so I just I just thought you know what and then once we ta- once we talked I was like wow this could be a really interesting topic um she has an you know Vanessa has an interesting business this is this is my like thought process and um and I know that I generally do talk to people who have online businesses but they're gen they're not they're they're hardly ever in this nonprofit sector. So mm-hmm. so, anyway, so my questions today really, I won't lie, they're going to be partly self-serving, <laughs> serving me, serving Fearless Launching, but also just curiosity um, mm-hmm. in, in how you, and, and I'm always looking for ways of um, taking maybe things that you think are unique to your industry and then thinking, oh, well, how could I apply that? That sounds great. So, okay. So, I guess just tell us about your business, like what you do, maybe, and maybe who you work with specifically.
1: Yeah. So my business is called The Storytelling Nonprofit, and it's a consulting firm and online business that helps nonprofits raise more money by telling their stories. And I started this business about three years ago. I was previously a nonprofit fundraiser. I started my business with zero fundraising, or sorry, zero business experience. (laughs) Um, And Uh, I started it because I was noticing um, just kind of some gaps in the nonprofit sector, especially in fundraising. You know, people are really good at asking donors for money to give to causes, but we're not always great at reporting back to them and telling them about how their gift had made a difference and really helping to kind of keep them connected to that work. And so I was really interested in just exploring more about how I could help other nonprofits improve their communications, and that kind of led me down this path of storytelling and uh, working with clients on that. I've worked with um, kind of small to medium-sized nonprofits. I've worked with a couple larger ones like BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Um, let see who else have I worked with. Uh, Share Family and Community Services. I've worked with Arasha Canada, which is an environmental group. And, um, I've worked with many more through some of the programs that I do online, such as webinars and then the storytelling nonprofit masterclass that I just taught.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. So like, I'm curious, how do you, how do you, do you pitch places or do they come to you? How do they, how do you guys find each other? How do you and your clients find each other?
1: Most of them come to me through um, my email list or through my blog. Um, I've been blogging online for about three years, so I have a pretty good presence in this sector, and I, I'd venture to say I'm probably one of the only people who exclusively talks about storytelling. Um, so a lot of times it's just that people recognize that that's kind of the niche that I'm in. It's something I special, specialize in, and they're interested in learning a little bit more about that and getting more one-on-one support with their organization's storytelling. And, um, I've had a number of people who I've met through speaking engagements. I I do a lot of traveling and speaking at conferences. So that's another way that I often connect with prospective clients.
0: Interesting. So do you feel like, do you feel like this area of, you know, just, I don't want to say business, but do you feel like this area in general, do you feel like people in this, in that world are hungry for, you know, innovative new ways of doing what they're already doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, the fundraising industry, and I call it an industry because it really is. I mean, it's a multi-million-dollar industry with lots of products and services <laughs> within it. Things like donor databases, which are like um, CRMs, you know, email service providers, things like that. Um, all of which support fundraising work. But I think what's been interesting is in the last you know ten years or so. Nonprofits are, you know, somewhat behind most businesses in that they're looking to get online and really take advantage of the opportunities for online fundraising. So I think for a lot of organizations, that's brought up questions about how we can fundraise differently, moving away from more traditional things like direct mail and looking at, you know, social media, um, crowdfunding campaigns, things like that. So I think I, I started my career at a really interesting time when lots of people were having conversations about this transition, um, also conversations about kind of generational transitions as well, um, right. with boomers kind of starting to not be the main donors to organizations and lots of millennials um, starting to give more. There's, I think, lots of questions that people have about how their organizations can be sustainable through these transitions.
0: Interesting. So... Okay. So then, okay, let's go back to the question thing because I was just thinking, sure. uh, I was just thinking, you know, stories in general and it's so, okay, so crazy side note is that last week I wrote a blog post about storytelling and how important stories are. And we're all we're all looking for the story of someone before we actually invest in something. So obviously it makes sense that stories are kind of what you focus on. But even in the past week, like I read a book and then there, there happened to be the next chapter that I was reading was on that very topic. Mm-hmm. And then I like was start when I was diving into your site and I was like, oh yeah, okay, of course. So my question is like, what what do you feel like these people are are challenged with? Is it is it, you know, when they come to you, are, you know, you said they're hungry for that information, but are they really, they're looking for repeat Donors are they looking like? What is their kind of main, I guess, challenge? Mm. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because I think when people come to me looking for help with storytelling, that's usually not the main or the kind of the yeah. core problem they're having. You're right. There's usually something else. Like they don't, that
0: that. they don't, they don't know. Like I know I need to tell a story, but I'm not sure why. But they might not even be at that. I need to tell a story. They're just like I need to mm, what. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's usually one of two things, and they're kind of related. Um, Oftentimes it'll be that they have realized that their annual budget is increasing and they need to figure out how to raise more money. (laughs) So they're exploring kind of some new tactics and strategies. They've heard that storytelling is a great way to engage donors, and they're looking for more information about that. Um, the other one is typically around donor retention, so kind of like customer retention. The nonprofit sector is notorious for its terrible donor retention rates. Two years ago, it was at like forty nine percent, so mm. they weren't even retaining half the donors they had on an annual basis. Matt, um, that, that's, that's a lot of
0: work on on people raising money because then you're is. like forced to go out there and find new people.
1: <laughs> yeah, and acquisition is challenging. I think in the nonprofit sector, um, you know, there's usually no return on investment. It costs a lot of money to do. So I think some organizations are becoming a lot smarter and proactively focusing on retention and realizing that they don't necessarily need to go find new donors to raise more money. They can cultivate the relationships they already have, um, encourage people to give larger gifts or more frequently um, as a way to kind of solve both of those problems, you know, increasing their fundraising and then also retaining people that are currently in their donor database.
0: Okay. So clearly, okay, so you said before that you saw the gaps you were working in the industry um, where what how did your how, well, tell me more about your background so I'm like I'm kind of piecing it all together right now so because I'm thinking that you probably saw this yourself so it's not like mm-hmm. you know what I mean you probably were saw seeing the the kind of call for yourself to find new donors new donors new donors
1: yeah definitely um, I I you know frankly I don't think anybody Hicks fundraising as a career right off the bat. I kind of stumbled into it. I was uh, working at the university that I went to, um, the University of British Columbia, and I managed to get a job in one of their fundraising departments, knowing nothing about fundraising, but they did a lot of things like direct mail and direct response campaigns, and um, I got a job doing marketing with them which was really interesting. And I learned a ton about fundraising while I was uh, working there. And I was like, you know, this is pretty cool work. Like, it's kind of like marketing and advertising, yet we're helping people do good in the community. It was a lot of combinations of things that I was really interested in. And so I decided to kind of stay in fundraising. And I went to a social service organization after working at the university for about two years. And um, it was pretty different. I mean, working at a smaller organization compared to a university that was fundraising like $800 million a year Mm, (laughs) was a pretty big change. It was good to see just what that looks like um, from a fundraising perspective. And I think it was while I was there, um, one of the things that would often happen was I would talk to donors about work that we were doing, um, projects that were happening. And I realized that they really only knew one facet of our work. They only knew that we had a community meals program, kind of like a soup kitchen. They knew nothing else about the organization. And I started to kind of wonder, well, like, why don't they know what else we do? You know, we have a recovery program. We have a kids after school program. We provide scholarships to kids for summer camp, all these other great things. And I realized it was our fault. Like we were not proactively talking about these other things that we did and really doing a good job of educating our donors about all the ways in which their their gifts were impacting the community. And so, I think that was where I started to think about, you know, how could how could we talk more about that in a way that was interesting and engaging? And uh, that's where stories started to come into play. I think it's something I've also experienced firsthand as a donor to organizations too, where you make a gift and then you never hear from them again. Oh my you gosh! Hear from them in like six months, and they're like,
0: "Give us more money." Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Oh, I got to tell you, like I got to tell you. Like, okay, so I I know we have. Um, someone in common in our life which we'll talk about you guys your work together with her but Shannon Doolittle was the first person I talked to about this and here where I live because she lives close to me and I'm very active in my daughter's school so we had there's a PTA and I find that the reason why they're struggling and like one year maybe the donations for the big event are down is because people don't understand what they're even donating for Mm -hmm. they don't have any idea of like there's, there's so many opportunities, even at that very basic level of fundraising that moms and parents do for their kids to actually share with the community. Like, here's what your dollars bought this new, whatever, like Mm -hmm. all new netbooks for the school or whatever, whatever the case. So, so yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really interesting. And I think that, um, kind of an interesting parallel in my business. You know, I think one of the first webinars I taught like two years ago, in retrospect, I realized it didn't sell very well because I didn't do a good job of explaining what people were going to learn or what it was all about. <laughs> and so it's something similar I think a lot of business owners struggle with, which is how do you unpack what it is you're offering in a very clear, concise, simple way that makes sense to somebody else who is not you?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you have a bunch of different dots leading to the various things and so mm-hmm. you know exactly what what you're selling. So it's hard for you to see that they don't have all the information. There's a lot of holes in their own story of, you know, they're seeing themselves like just giving money and maybe, maybe there's a tax benefit Mm -hmm. to it, but they're not really (laughs) seeing beyond that what's going to happen. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So interesting. Okay. So let me just see. So with, with, finding the clients, you said they are hungry for the help. It seems like they're definitely visiting your site. You have a blog, you, you have one of the only blogs in that really specific space. Mm -hmm. Um, what are, I mean, I know you have classes, I know you have digital programs, which we'll talk about that in a second, but do you have one off like one-on-one clients? And do you, what are some of the challenges you face? Maybe even finding those clients. I'm just Yeah, that's
1: a good question. Um, I did more so at the beginning of starting my business. This year, I've kind of scaled back just because uh, those projects are often very time and labor intensive. Mm -hmm. And I find I can only really handle one at a time. I think there was a point during my first year of business where we were managing like six different campaigns for people and it was a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of organizations involved a lot of people who we were in contact with, and it just became a little too much. And um, I just decided to kind of Step back a little bit <laughs> in an intentional way to figure out you know, it's work that I love doing. I love being able to help an organization really create a fundraising campaign from the ground up. Um, but it's a, it's a, it can be a long process, and it's what I really like to be um, very focused on and present with. And so we'll only work with one organization at a time doing that. So typically, I think we work with anywhere from like four to seven organizations a year.
0: Interesting, interesting. Can I ask you then? Okay, so this is kind of just like a, a weird daydreaming question for you. Um, if there was like a company that you could help tell their stories better out there, like a nonprofit organization, do you have like a dream, dream company that you would like to work with at some point?
1: Gosh, that's a good question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, because, I mean, because yeah. maybe we can help you get that. <laughs> maybe we can, like, even if they take a course, however, however it works out, like, is there, um, like a nonprofit organization stories that are so compelling to you personally that you would be?
1: Yeah, um gosh, there's ones I come across all the time where I'm like, oh, I would love to work with them.
0: Yeah. I mean, because that's where you get it that's where you can truly get super excited about the process and you can it's easy to give more and more and more to those types of people and companies.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm on the board of directors of a rape crisis center here in Vancouver, and uh, I love working with them. They're great. I love being able to help them with their storytelling work around women's experiences with sexualized violence. Um, so I think I always kind of have a, a soft spot for helping women's organizations. Um, yeah, there's one in the U.S. that does political advocacy around women's issues called Ultraviolet, and um, their I mean their work is pretty different than what I do. They're usually sending emails um getting women to and, and men to sign petitions, to, you know, call members of Congress or senators to change legislation that affects women and, and their health and overall well being. Um so I think they're pretty interesting. They tell lots of other people's stories very well. Um I'd love to hear more about their story though, about how they got started as an organization and how they continue to do that work. and
0: Yeah. Cause I think it would inspire more people to then be part of that work. Mm-hmm. Like when you tell your own story, I mean, that's, that's something that I love just as a business owner is I think it's not just um, this, Oh, here's my story and my growth as an, an entrepreneur. No, it's, it's almost like, here's the story that you are now part of. Mm-hmm. And it kind of pulls you into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Okay. So let me ask you then, okay. Cause it sounds like you, you actually have really an amazing business. I, I mean, I'm really interested. I'm like, gosh, why didn't I get into this area? (laughs) (laughs) like, This is, this is, I don't know. Cause it just seems like, so on like helping people, helping, helping companies help more people. Mm -hmm. So it's, but it's all about supporting those kind of, those kind of, I guess it all comes down to those people that you're actually supporting, you know, whether it's a company, whether you do it through a company or some other way, but I don't know. It seems really interesting. So I may have to talk to you offline about that.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's one of the things that I really like a lot about my work is that I get to help people who are really passionate about doing good in the world. You know, the fundraisers who are there at the organizations. um, A lot of times I'll work with executive directors or communications directors. um, And they're, you know, they're the ones that make that organization what it is. They're on the ground doing the work. And They really have a vision or a goal for what things could be like for their nonprofit, but they just need a little help getting there. And it's really rewarding to be able to come alongside them and and help them in that process.
0: Yeah. You know who you should check out, I think, is um, I'm thinking of Erin Giles. I don't know if you know who she is, but she uh, put together like compiled a book with a bunch of different authors, including herself, for uh, End Sex Trafficking Day. And so if you know her... Check her out if you don't, if you haven't seen her, but she's amazing and she is, that's like her kind of main focus, but I know she does some other, you know, philanthropic work as well, but that's like her main focus is that, um, every single year, which isn't, I think it's like around September or October. So she's likely working on Mm -hmm. that again right now. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. So I just want to ask you then, like, based on like everything that I'm hearing, I'm just curious then. We're going to switch over to Fearless Launching right now. Like, what, what were you challenged with, or what were you like? Okay, this is why. This is why I want to get into Fearless Launching, scholarship or otherwise. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like there are a couple things that brought me to Fearless Launching. Um, I knew, you know, I think at that point I'd been working full time for my business or in my business for about two and a half years, and uh, I knew I was good at doing certain things. I knew that we'd grown a lot from year one to year two, um, but I felt like there were still still some areas where I just needed some help getting some traction. I had an email list, and I still do, um, which is a pretty decent size, but I was not feeling like I was really successful at reaching a lot of those people with my offers, um, and I wanted to be able to do more of that. A lot of them live in other parts of the world or are at organizations that would not have the budget to hire me one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But I still felt kind of the calling to be able to help them in other ways. And so I uh, originally started exploring teaching webinars and doing a couple other online classes. And they were going well, but I really wanted to develop some sort of bigger offering around storytelling. And it's it was an idea that had been percolating in my mind for like close to a year. And I have been stalling acting on it for numerous reasons, <laughs> mostly related to the fact that I just was um, – I was dealing with a lot of issues of perfectionism around getting the content right and the offering right,
0: <laughs> and I was like, "Perfection—that's you know I mean? not the, I've never heard I, of that before." I, know, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, you know, I bet if I took Fearless Launching, like, like this could really like light a fire under me and kind of like get me to move forward with this. <laughs> and so, oh. part of it was that that aspect of accountability—that like I knew I wanted to do something, and I wasn't personally making any progress with it—and so I thought <laughs> that you know if I took a class that would like not only help me with the launching aspect, but also probably get me to move forward on actually creating the class, which it did, um, I'd be able to finally kind of move forward with it and get it out into the world, which happened in July. So it's pretty exciting.
0: I'm so excited. No, I, you know, honestly, Vanessa, I, I was telling you the other day offline, off the call that I really loved your updates because they were, um, because, okay, so when, when you give scholarships out Mm -hmm. of any kind, you wonder, are people going to take action? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's this whole thing that we're told that if you don't invest, then you're not going to do it. Like if someone gives you a course, the likelihood of you falling off the radar is 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 high. Like, mm-hmm. and myself, I, I'm not like that. I'm very self-motivated. And so I was always like, really? I don't know if I believe that. But I did see it. Like I, there was one other year, I think the second time I did Fearless Launching, I did that same thing. And I, I think I had like a contest during a webinar or something. Mm-hmm. And- I think those two people are now launching for sure, and they've been amazing members of the Fearless Launching community. So I don't want to downplay what they've accomplished because they have accomplished a lot. But I know that even they would say that those first kind of whatever rounds, that they were just kind of still trying to figure it all out. So I was so appreciative to to see you in action and seeing what you were doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of action happening.
0: (laughs) And okay, so, yes, so exactly. So, the one of the first things we talked about is, is, um, you know, a lot of people were very, are still very resistant to them, by the way, in the, in the group. There are some newer people who I don't know if have spent enough time, uh, basically, Diving into who they're actually talking to, and so that was like I feel like the main thing you did was you started talking to people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to people. Um, I think I think what kind of really motivated me to be a little bit more proactive in that lesson during the during fearless launching was that. I had the year before kind of had this realization that <laughs> I don't actually sell to nonprofit organizations. I sell to people who work at nonprofit organizations. And so I had this kind of very um, unclear picture of who I was selling to because ultimately it's the people who make the decisions. Like an organization is an entity, but like in itself it can't actually make a choice. <laughs> so right. I um, was starting to get really interested a little bit more about just, you know, who – who actually does make the buying decisions, who's interested in learning more, what are their motivations for doing professional development in work or outside of work, things like that. Um, And so I think right around the time the class had started, uh, and maybe even slightly before, I had just sent out a survey to my list um, to ask people about what they were interested in learning about storytelling and being very transparent and saying, you know, I'm planning on creating a class this summer around this topic. You know, would you like to learn more about it? Can I talk to you about what you're interested in learning? And I think that including those questions on the survey kind of gave me that open door to then continue to engage people. And I felt a little less awkward about it.
0: Yeah. Like, hey, um, now you saw that thing that I sent you and I'm curious now if you want to chat about it. So my my question is, did you just email pretty much everybody who responded and just, because I mean, that's, I feel like that's kind of what you can do at the very beginning is anybody who opens or clicks anything, you're just like, okay, you clicked, you interacted, I'm calling you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's a really good point. I, um, I had some time constraints in May when I was working on this because uh, I was getting married at the end of the month, and so mm-hmm. I just felt like I did not necessarily have time to call everyone who responded. Although, in retrospect, I wish I did because the 20 or so conversations I had were awesome, and I learned a lot from them, and it really helped me in the process of developing the course and connecting with prospects and you know enrolling a good number of those people in the class itself. Um, So I I would say the next time around when I survey people again, I would certainly reach out even more than I did before um, to contact people and and have those one-on-one conversations.
0: Did you, would you mind sharing any, like what did you do like on the calls? Were you just asking questions about them, their business, what they were struggling with? Did you, you know, like, was Mm -hmm. it like a get to know you kind of conversation or did you help them with something on the call?
1: It was a bit of both. Um, I think I had asked you for some advice mm-hmm. on one of the office hours calls during Fearless launching about, like, what do you talk to these people about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's um, up? Yeah. That's exactly.
1: all. <laughs> uh, so – and. And I think you would recommend it, you know, open up the survey and go through what they said piece by piece Mm -hmm. and, you know, ask them to explain it a little bit more, maybe talk a little bit more in depth about some of the issues they were having. And that was a really good starting point for me. Um, The other thing I was also really curious about was what specific job title did that person had um you know what the size and structure of their organization was just to get a sense because there are a lot of different roles in the fundraising industry you know who specifically of all those job titles and roles are actually interested in this kind of
0: and who's on your list who are those people how are you know what i mean who's having who's has the um what is it the kind of drive to kind of find out more who
1: Yeah. And I had, I think I had a lot of assumptions about that. I knew from a welcome survey that I send people uh, when they sign up to my list, um, my list is about like 60% fundraisers and then like 20% people who work in communications and marketing and like another 20% who are like board members or executive directors. And I kind of always had the inkling that my primary audience was the fundraising people <laughs> and, and making those calls really confirmed it to me. I talked to, I think, one communications person, um, but everybody else worked in strictly fundraising. And I think the one person who I did speak with who was in communications, um, you know, their, their concerns and the issues they had were a little bit different. And I knew that they were not necessarily the target person who I was interested in working with.
0: Right. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. So you kind of like, here's who's on my list and here's, here's who's actually interacting with me via the survey. And here's, here's maybe what they're challenged with. So how long were those calls? Just so I can get an idea. Were they, were they different lengths?
1: Yeah. I think I typically gave myself like 30 minutes for them, um, which was, I think a good amount of time because we would maybe chat specifically about like the survey and some of the issues they were having for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And then I would say, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Is there anything I can help you with? Do you have any questions? Are you working on anything you need some help with or want to brainstorm some ideas? And without fail, every time somebody had questions (laughs) or wanted to
0: chat. about, I I mean, honestly, I think that's great. And then my other question, and maybe I don't know what you did with this, but did you follow up with them? Like to just, did you like do like an email follow up and just say, Hey, thanks again for that. Did you, did you do that after?
1: For some people I did. Um, there were a few people who I talked to when we were talking, I like other resources or helpful things came to mind. And so I was able to follow up and say, Hey, like, by the way, this is happening. Um, and then, When I opened enrollment for the class, I wanted to give those people like a slight discount on the registration fee. So I emailed them all personally and said, you know, I really appreciated talking with you, you know, and kind of mentioned a few specific things that we talked about during the call and said, you know, the class registration is opening up soon. I wanted to make sure you saw it. Um, And that was, you know, again, a great way to kind of engage with them, uh, make sure they knew about the class um, and had kind of a special incentive to sign up if that was something they were interested in.
0: I love that. I love it. So, so do you feel like that is the reason why, because like your results for your launch were, you definitely said that you exceeded what, you know, like you had a goal and you pretty much tripled that. Like you went three times. That is what you actually ended up mm-hmm. doing. So do you think that's why, or do you think there was a combination of some other things or, you know,
1: I think that played a pretty big role in it. The other thing I did was I held a free webinar during like the second week of the launch and, um, or actually it was the first week and uh, gave people like a special incentive to sign up within like 24 hours, I think. And I had never done anything like that. And I also didn't know a whole lot about running a sales mm-hmm. webinar before. And you had pointed me to some great resources on that, which I like consumed very quickly before having to yeah. do that call the next week. And that really helped me a lot. I had some great results from people who signed up right away. And then there were probably another five or six people who did not sign up quite in time to get the bonus incentive, but they still signed up for the class.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Well, that's great. So then, okay. So first of all, I know that we've, we do have a hard stop time today, so I want to like acknowledge that, but I do want to get a few more details um, so, that we can share what you're doing with the listeners. So, where can people, first of all, find you?
1: Yeah, the best place to find me is over on my website, which is thestorytellingnonprofit.com. And awesome. uh, you can mosey over there. We have a blog and lots of other resources if uh, you're in the nonprofit sector or looking just for some more advice on communications and that sort of thing.
0: And then, are you doing the course again soon, or are you still in the midst of it? I'm
1: in the midst of it. Uh, we're almost done. <laughs> I think we have like two weeks to go. And uh, I think once, it, once it's over, I'm going to do some kind of reflection and evaluation with the people who are in the class <laughs> and yep. start to figure out, you know, where else I can support them and then uh, whether or not I want to run the class again before the end of the year. So we'll awesome. see. It's to be decided.
0: But I know you have other stuff going on, too. Mm-hmm. So our friend, our mutual acquaintance, Shannon...
1: Yes, yeah. And you guys she and are doing I, something. Um, she and I co teach another online program called Stewardship School, which we developed to help um, nonprofit organizations create donor stewardship programs, um, which is basically a strategy for them to help retain their donors, um, much like you would try to retain customers in between purchases. And uh, we're starting that up again. I think the next class starts on September 14th, and so registration opens on August 24th.
0: Wow. You're busy. You're a busy lady. And any speaking things happening that we should know about?
1: (laughs) Um, Several.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. um, Let's see. In September, I am teaching a workshop with the Land Trust Alliance in New Jersey, which will be a lot of fun. Um, And then I'm also speaking at the Meals on Wheels Association of America National Conference in early September in Orlando, which will be a lot of fun.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So... That is cool. Okay, Vanessa. Vanessa, you know what? I have to just say it's it was a pleasure getting to know you through Fearless Launching and I loved your work ethic. I like wish everyone had that same kind of work ethic even though you're probably like, yeah, well, I was getting married so maybe not so much then. <laughs> but um but I I definitely love that stories of of just coming in, getting to work and even if it is just a few key things like webinar and getting on the phone with people. Sometimes you keep it easy. Next time, you'll, you've will you got those two kind of systems going, and then you'll be able to maybe do something else. Maybe you'll have something else that you'll create uh, to lead up to the launch. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that's a really good point because I think for me in the past, one of the things that's often happened is I overcomplicate the process to which I launch something or I feel like I see other people doing certain things in their launches and it's like, oh, well, I should probably do that because they're really successful at it. But it's not something that will work for me personally or necessarily work for the people that I serve. Uh, So sometimes it's just best to keep it simple, go back to the basics. And I think that was one of the important lessons that came out of this (laughs) launch for me.
0: (laughs) Yes. It's something I have to, I think we all have to remind ourselves (laughs) of it because it's easy to get excited and think you have to have everything packed in there but sometimes it's like that nice single layer cake with some frosting on it that's that's good enough yes um for right now so i'm excited to see what you do next um and again i will put all of your links in the show notes uh as well as i know you have the e-course the that's available on your site as well so i'll make sure that people know where to go get that as well
1: Alexandra, it was great talking to you today. Great
0: talking to you too. And thanks again so much for joining me today and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yes. All right. Take care.
1: You
0: too. Bye. Thank you for listening today to the Fearless Launching show. I hope you enjoyed this kind of case study behind the scenes and story about one of our more unique members of Fearless Launching. You know, Vanessa was just so generous with her time, but also she did a great job of proving me wrong on a few things. As you know, that you can get a scholarship for something, take action on your own. She also proved that you can do Fearless Launching solo. So for me, she gave me so much proof in a few different things. And then you can set your goals and then triple your results. I literally loved that. And I love that she was so forthcoming with all of her results for me. So if you want to check out Vanessa and everything she's up to because she's got a lot going on and I feel like there's so much to learn from her. She's so well-spoken and so smart and so intuitive really. So I really highly recommend you go over to the Storytelling Nonprofit and I've put some of her links below. If you have any questions for her, if you have any comments for her, leave them below in the comments of the show notes below, and I will see you next week on The Fearless Launching Show. Take care.